All right, so we are on to chapter uh, four. Chapter four. Our friend Our, Abraham. Yeah, chapter four. Abraham. This is, yeah, it's so, uh, just to get us started when talking about covenant theology, I feel like there's so much that comes out with the Abrahamic covenant uh, that it, you just keep going back to it. This is true of yeah. everything in scripture um, but when you think about all the places that Abraham is spoken of and, and mentioned and how uh, the, the covenant made with Abraham is uh, spoken of in the New Testament uh, it's just it's hard to it's hard to uh, think we're going to really cover this in one chapter <laughs> you know and obviously I'm sure he'll get deeper into the way it connects to some things later on, but um, pretty short chapter, and it's like, man, this is there's so much here, there's so much here. Mm. You? Yeah. So I, you know, what are? I guess where do you guys want to go with this? We can just start walking through it. Um, but is there anything particular that stuck out to you that you want to bring up at first? Um, on page 55, I underlined this, uh, this section in the first paragraph there. With the covenant of, covenant of grace, it's not that people make themselves into the kind of people God approves of, and then he lets them join the covenant. Rather, God, out of his own grace, comes and chooses people who have done nothing to deserve it and enters into covenant with them. That's such a basic truth of the Christian faith, is that... God is the one who initiates relationship. God's the, God is the one who initiates and sets the terms of the covenant. And doesn't he's not expecting people. In fact, he knows that people cannot do anything to make themselves worthy of coming in the covenant with him, or making themselves righteous enough to be in relationship with him. Because like we just talked about in the last few, few chapters, how Adam, you know, he's made perfect and then he sinned and he plunged all of humanity into um, depravity and into sin and into the curse. So at that point now, man has become unable to uh, be made righteous. So what what is what is a person to do? Um, and the only thing they can do, well, they can't do anything. And it takes God initiating relationship, initiating covenant with with people, um, not themselves, not them trying to clean themselves up it's it's interesting too because you know we talk about in the new testament the pharisees would always point back to oh we're children of abraham like we're we're abraham's seed and jesus rebukes him he's like no you're not yeah like you might be physical descendants of abraham but spiritually you're you know you're of your father the devil yeah yeah you're the devil seed <laughs> yeah um we've saw we saw this already with noah uh but we're um Though there, you know, are going to be in the Abrahamic covenant uh, later on um, a, a certain kind of conditions, right? So yes. It's conditional in a certain sense. He's going to talk about that. Mm -hmm. um, it is not the same as the conditions of the covenant of works with Adam. And um, not only is it not the same, but you see uh, first in the Noahic covenant, you see God taking that first initial step. In fact, in the Noahic Covenant, it's just God saying, yeah. well, I promise I'm not going to do this again. Right. Because yeah. he says, look, 
man is still evil, right? I mean, man, there's still all these problems. Mm-hmm. The problems haven't gone away necessarily. Yeah. But I'm not going to do that anymore. Yeah. And now with Abraham, uh, it adds more to it, where he now says, not only that, but through Abraham, this is what I'm going to do, and I'm going to do it, right? I'm yes. going to mm-hmm. yep. be the one to accomplish it. Praise God. So he says that, you know, in Abraham, uh, in the covenant with Abraham, this is where we really first see the covenant of grace begin to be fleshed out. Yeah, um, it's evident. You see it before. You see it in the promise of, you know, crushing the head of the serpent. You see you see it in a way. Uh, but it's the kind of thing where that's just a seed. And until it grows out, you may not know exactly what that seed is, right? You don't yeah. know exactly what it holds. Uh, but as it begins to grow, you start to see it more and more. And so God begins to progressively, uh, you know, open up to us and show us and reveal to us what exactly it is that he was going to do. Ultimately, obviously, leading to Christ. Yeah. Yeah, yeah page 56, um, last paragraph there. So God makes it clear to Abraham that from now on, the covenant will be completed not by man, but by God himself. It'll be God who guarantees that the paradise world is restored and Satan's rebellion is crushed. Again, like you said, Michael, it's God who does the work. It's God who does the, you know, covenant initiation. It's God who plants the seed and causes it to grow and progressively reveals more and more of, you know, his plan for the redemption of mankind throughout history, throughout the Old Testament, until again it finally comes to the culmination of the person and work of Jesus Christ who we see in Ephesians was you know that's the mystery that was you know revealed at its proper time mm. um, but again it's just it's cool because it's it's man messed it up and then God picks up the broken pieces and puts it back together God's the one and it's because man couldn't do it mm. God's the one that does all the work and therefore he gets you know we'll, we'll go on but he'll, he'll, he gets all the glory for um, for it all because he's the one that did it all and man can do nothing man I think Jonathan Edwards said the only thing that man has contributed to their salvation is the sin that made it necessary mm-hmm. which I think is an excellent quote because it's like you, you made salvation necessary because you sinned yeah. and but it's only God who is able to do the saving work yeah Another way we see this, by the way, this so he doesn't talk about this in this chapter, and, and you know, I, this is meant to be a short book. Obviously, it's not meant to be everything. You can't, um, you know, look at the full story of Abraham. But one of the ways you see God doing this with Abraham is that Abraham comes just after the Tower of Babel incident. So um, you have the Tower of Babel, which in many ways is a kind of it's it's another fall, right? So you have you have the fall in terms of of Adam and Eve sinning. You also have a you know another pretty massive um, blow in a sense in Genesis with the flood, right? Where people get so bad, God destroys everybody, uh, and so it looks bad once again. Then shortly after <laughs> the flood, you then also have the Tower of Babel incident, mm-hmm. um, which is again another kind of a fall. It's another uh, way in which it's it's clear that things are really bad. And if you add all those things together, it's like. To everything is bad. Yeah. It keeps getting bad. It doesn't stop getting bad. Mm-hmm. Like, how could anything change? Right. And so God, you know, uh, scatters people. He, in a sense, disinherits them. He he casts them all um, apart, both to their own language groups. And um, in Deuteronomy, we're told, in a sense, to uh, other gods, too, uh, that, you know, as they were going to seek their own way, 
to the heavens, in a sense, God says, okay, good luck, you know, like go, go ahead. And so it seems really bad, but directly after we then read in uh, Genesis 11, 27, now there, uh, now these are the generations of Terah, Terah fathered Abram. And um, so coming out of the Tower of Babel incident, Abram is mentioned right away. And it's then shortly after that in chapter 12, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And so Abraham is, in a sense, um, God's means of restoring what is clearly been destroyed, right? I mean, it's, it's the beginning. It's not everything, right? Obviously, this finds fulfillment in Christ. But it's the beginning of God restoring all of these things that he had scattered, that he had, you know, judged, that he had destroyed. Um, this is the beginning of salvation, right? It's yeah. it's the beginning of, of putting all of those things back together. Yeah. It's kind of that theme, too, of, you know, he's calling out a remnant. He's calling out a people out of the whole of humanity. And then he's, he, like you said, that the fall, the flood... Tower of Babel, and then now all of a sudden we see God calling a people out and setting them apart for himself, for his work, um, by calling Abraham out and bringing mm-hmm. him to the land of Canaan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Andrew, you read the quote um, mm-hmm. that, you know, God was going to uh, do this himself, accomplish the things he promised Abraham himself. Yeah. That would be good for us to talk about how he showed that. Um, so this is Genesis 15. This is in the first uh, time that God, you know, makes this promise to Abraham of offspring and how, you know, all the families of the earth will be blessed through him. And um, this is in verse 17. It says, When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. I should back up so yeah. um, if you've not read the chapter um, we're told that uh, Abraham was told by God to cut uh, these different animals in half mm-hmm. lay them on on two different sides and this was a common practice um, in the ancient Near East where two men particularly of some kind of power or authority uh, would make a covenant together um, where they would pass between you know, two cut up animals to say, if I don't keep the terms of this covenant, let this happen to me. Let me be cut up. Let me be torn in two. And in this case, uh, Abraham doesn't walk through these different pieces. It says that, uh, again, a smoking fire pot of flaming torch passed between these pieces. Uh, On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. And so um, God himself, in other words, shows to Abraham this is how, this this is how I'm going to accomplish these things, or rather, not how, but I'm going to do it, right? Like I'm going to accomplish these things, and if, even if you break the covenant, I will take upon myself the punishment for that, right? Because I'm the only one that passes between mm-hmm. these animals. Yeah, Rhodes <clears throat> emphasizes that point on page 58. He's got a, a good quote here. He says, "God signs in His own blood." Remember, Abraham's question, which prompted the ceremony, he asked, how can I be sure that you are going to give me this great place, all those descendants, and and bless me? Um, 
God's answer is emphatic. I swear on my own life. Abraham is saved by grace alone. To say that we are saved by grace alone is simply to say that we are saved by God alone. It's God, not Abraham, who will repair the damage done by Adam. And again, this is really good news for sinners. <laughs> and it just goes to show so many people are like, oh, the Old Testament's all works. The Old Testament's all works. Right there, the first covenant after Adam broke the covenant that God made with him, the first covenant we see, well, second, I'm sorry, there was the Noah covenant. There we go. And and then I should read my Bible. Um, <laughs> and then, obviously, he makes the covenant with Abraham, and it's grace right there. It's faith. God, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And then we see in the New Testament, that's Paul's whole basis for um, refuting the Judaizers, in, uh, in Galatians, right? Mm-hmm. Where they're like, oh, the Gentiles have to be circumcised. He's like, don't you realize that Abraham was declared righteous before he was circumcised? Mm-hmm. And now you're saying that Gentiles have to be <clears throat> circumcised in order to be made righteous. It's, it's inconsistent with the, with the Old Testament. And so right there from, you know, Abraham, again, even in Adam, we see, hey, God's going to send the, the serpent crusher and then God, with Noah, he promises he'll never destroy the earth by flood again. And then Abraham, he, he uh, declares him righteous by the faith that he had. That Abraham believed God, what he said, what he was going to do. And it was coming to his righteousness. So we just see the grace of God. We see the mercy of God. Even from the very beginning, all throughout the Old Testament. Hmm. Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, obviously, we don't have time get into all of it but if you just read through Galatians and just try to to follow Paul's argument um, and how he uses and understands the story of Abraham it is that direct it's mm-hmm. that much like you know no, we're we are doing the same thing Abraham did we are just like Abraham we and so you know he says know that uh, it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Yeah. Now, um, you know, it says later, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So uh, we're, in a sense, put into that same, uh, that same story. And yes. that's, that's one of the reasons, by the way, we say that this is the, you know, uh, maybe the first um, explicit point where you see the covenant of grace begin to work itself out. Mm-hmm. Because the New Testament authors go back and say, "Look, we're mm-hmm. we're just a part of that same thing, right? Yeah. Whatever Abraham was a part of, yeah. we're doing it too. Like that's what we're doing." Um, and that obviously was important, especially in the New Testament era, because one of the main conflicts was, "Well, how do you bring Gentiles into something that is only belongs to Jews?" Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why you know, in one of the passages I just read, it's just after uh, Paul says, "Well, there is neither Jew nor Greek." slave nor free male nor female for you are all one in christ jesus and if you are christ then you are abraham's offspring heirs according to promise and so the idea being that those are not the distinctions that make you a part of this covenant with god in fact they never were Uh, they actually never were the distinctions in the case of abraham um, and his offspring his true offspring the argument goes were always those who were uh, his offspring by faith as opposed to those who are offspring purely by blood 
Wait, 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 Michael, are you telling me that Galatians 3, the intention is to describe to me the people group who are under the covenant and not who can be a pastor? This is not an argument for egalitarianism? <laughs> Dang it. Oh, I was like, where do you go with that? I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. I've heard that garbage argument before. <laughs> yes. Or an argument for transgenderism, which is worse. Right. Oh, no, oh, it's oh. so wild, by the way, that that is... <laughs> Isn't it? Just read some context. Do I feel yeah, some right, of yeah. it? Just try a little bit. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Just try. Just try. Try no. a little bit harder. Is, uh, if this is not one of the indications that people are illiterate today, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, no kidding. You, uh, I know you yeah. think you know how to read because you can make the sounds of the words that you're like yeah. trying to read, but you actually are not reading in the proper yeah. sense, right? Like you don't have any idea what you're reading no. um, you're just making it up at this point yeah. <laughs> you're just oh, making it up and it's it's a shame too because I know we're taking a jab at it but yes. but like and we're absolutely making fun of it because it's ridiculous but <laughs> but when when people do that with that text they obliterate everything we're discussing here how right there in Genesis you know what 12 uh, when he calls Abram, that is the be- that's the again the revealing of the covenant of grace um, that God makes with people who have faith in Him. Um, you you obliterate that. You absolutely negate that if you take that out of context. You rip that out of context, and you take away the beauty of right there in Abraham. We see that hey, God's making a covenant of grace by grace through faith. That that's how people are saved. Um, that's the go- you're you're doing damage to the gospel at that point, mm-hmm. uh, which is atrocious. Mm-hmm. That was a bit of a tangent from uh, what Rhodes is writing on. Yeah. Us, so, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, back to the chapter. Back to the chapter. <laughs> it's fun. Yeah, it's no. all fun. Yeah. So let's talk about circumcision, uh, because so you have Genesis 15, um, God's initial covenant with Abraham, and then you seem to have this. You know, kind of filling out of that covenant in Genesis 17, um, things become a bit more explicit, and we have this condition that's right. added. So it's conditional now. So it's right. conditional, dun, right? Dun, dun, so dun. it can't be just of grace. There's a, there's right. a conditional element, right? Mm-hmm. That's what it. That's what it maybe seems like. So mm-hmm. how does Rhodes deal with that or talk about it? How should we understand it? Yeah, he will later distinguish between uh, meritorious and necessary conditions. But before he gets there on page 60, he writes this about the difference between these two different covenants. The ones that, again, he describes as the covenant of works and the covenant of grace. He says, the distinction here uh, is that while both lead to the same blessings, which is eternal life in paradise with God, both ultimately have the same curses. The conditions are radically uh, opposed to each other. in the former, people were required to live sinless lives in order to inherit their reward. But now in the latter, in the covenant of grace, uh, we are not to earn salvation by our good works, but instead to trust God to provide us with his. Abraham becomes the model person of faith. He believed that, uh, in God's promises and was justified, which simply means he was declared righteous. While uh, this faith in turn showed itself fruitfulness in fruitfulness, a life of at least attempted obedience to God, this fruitfulness itself is not the ultimate cause of Abraham's salvation. Merely, it is the evidence of God's grace at work. Now, just like us, Abraham did nothing to merit his salvation. Faith, and this is, yeah, you know, highlight, underline, circle, faith was the empty hand that received God's blessing, not the busy hand that earned them. 
And this is why it's so good that we are under the covenant of grace. Yeah, yeah. So, it, you know, even when you talk about this idea that, you know, well, circumcision was necessary or something like that, well, in a sense, sure, but um, you have to ask what circumcision is. What is it? Right? Because um, you can, in a like really cursory reading of the text, come away and say, okay, you must be circumcised. And so it's the circumcision that then brings about some kind of, of justification, which is exactly what the Judaizers and others thought, right? It's literally what they thought. It's literally why um, so much of the controversy in the New Testament era was over, well, can you actually be justified apart from circumcision? Um, so uh, this is, I mean, this is what Paul's doing in Galatians, but also in Romans and so many other places uh, where he's trying to help people understand, oh, no, this is not, mm-hmm. you know, that's not actually what it was all about in right. the first place. Um, so what was circumcision? Well, so uh, Romans four eleven, Paul says uh, Abraham received the sign, sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So um, it is circumcision was a sign and a seal of something that he already had, right? And then it's something that's given to his children on the basis of the faith that he had. Yeah. Uh, oh, I see what he did. Which it was. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we can all agree there. <laughs> we can all agree. <laughs> Wait a second. You pull, see a, where that, you pull a sneaky one on us. See where that takes us. Uh, but, but seriously, um, like when you, when you understand that, then when you read the text yeah. and it says that you must be circumcised, you understand Oh, it's not just saying the physical outward sign. Yeah. That's not enough. That's not everything. Um, it matters. It's not that it doesn't matter. It's just that like, that's not everything, which is why throughout the Old Testament, um, God will condemn the people for only having you know, a physical outward circumcision. So yes. Moses says, yeah. you have to be circumcised apart, right? It's yeah. not enough. Um, God will uh, condemn the people for um, trusting in the outward signs of the temple of the sacrificial system yeah. um, and say I don't do I do I want sacrifice yeah. no what you know what does uh, he require of you old man to uh, to uh, walk humbly with your God right there's there's so many times where he does it now obviously God commanded circumcision God commanded the sacrificial system God commanded the service of the priests and he commanded the building of the temple and the use yeah. of the temple so these are things in a sense sure he wants yeah. but um, they are visible signs of spiritual realities and if you don't have the actual spiritual reality behind them it's futile what is it yeah it's it's just a physical act and and that's and that's the problem that's where like you said michael that's where the jewish people went wrong time and time again is they were outwardly circumcised they they harped on outward circumcision but they weren't circumcised of heart like you know we see that you know we cause um, in the Old Testament, there's, you know, plenty of the prophets call the people uncircumcised when they're physically circumcised. Um, you know, and I think in the New Testament, when Jesus is rebuking the uh, Pharisees and he's, he's like, you, you say that a man, if a man swears by the gold on the altar, that's, it's, you know, he's bound by his oath. But if he swears by the altar, then he's not bound. He's like, well, what's greater, the gold or the altar that makes it sacred? Mm-hmm. So, like he says here in 59, uh, uh, Road says here at the end of 59 and 60, circumcision is a picture of something else. 
receiving righteousness by faith. That's why circumcision was a big deal. Mm -hmm. Because it was an outward sign and seal of the faith, the righteousness that was received by faith mm -hmm. in Abraham and then all who share the faith that Abraham had. Like you said, if it's merely just a physical act, then it, it's useless. Yeah. Um, Which we should say, by the way, so um, circumcision was a common practice in the ancient mm -hmm. Eries around the people of Israel. I mean, it wasn't everybody. Yeah. But it was not an abnormal thing. It was actually somewhat normal in the sense that there are plenty of other people groups that also practice circumcision. <clears throat> but for them, it was not the sign of faith, right? It was yeah. different. Uh, but it was something that was practiced by other people. Um, so, it, you know, to to think, well, it's just by doing that act or something like that. Yeah. Well, it, it should be obvious that that's not the case, yeah. you know. Well, and it's, it's telling, too, because I think even... I don't want to make that general statement, but I saw a video by um, a guy named Dennis Prager. I don't know if you guys know who that is. He's kind of a conservative commentator and all that stuff, but he's an Orthodox Jew. And he was, there was a video of him online saying that pornography is not wrong. Pornography is not sinful. Like that act of just lusting after, you know, photographs and videos on your computer screen is not wrong. It, he said, if you went and like actually like committed adultery, it's like act. you literally have the same mindset as the Pharisees. It hasn't changed. Like, <laughs> yeah. So there's this, there's huh. this plague that like, as long as I don't do the physical thing or I do this physical thing, I'm good without again like, and Jesus condemns it right you, you've heard yeah. it said do not you, you know you should not commit adultery I tell you if you look on a woman with yeah. lust you should you know you should have heard it said you should not murder but I tell you if you, you hate your brother if you're angry with your brother if unjustly you've murdered it's that's it's the age old, age old problem of like if I don't do it mm -hmm. if I just think about it or you know I'm fine but it's like well really God's looking at your heart he's looking because that you know that's where our sinful actions come from and also, the meditating and the pondering on it is sin in itself. And that's, and that's the problem that they don't get. They think, mm -hmm. oh, if I just do the physical act of circumcision here, I'm good. I'm, I'm in obedience. If I just outwardly sacrifice, I'm, you know, I'm in compliance. But it's, it's doing those things, but also from the right heart posture. Because yeah. uh, if you do it from the wrong heart posture, then, like, like you said, do, do I not rather, would I rather not have obedience over sacrifice, you know, would I rather not have faith than, than just merely you circumcising? So Chase, you brought up uh, the, you know, two different types of conditions and how we might understand them. So meritorious conditions and necessary conditions. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk about those a little bit more? I want to let Rhodes talk about it. Um, <laughs> he, he said it better. He uses a really helpful little, um, uh, story that I found particularly persuasive. Bottom of 61 going to 62, he says, uh, let's change the scene. Is entry into the stadium for the World Cup final, which of course is almost as cool as the Super Bowl, but not really, is that conditional <laughs> or unconditional? Uh, well, you can only get in if you have a ticket. So there's your answer. Having the ticket is the condition of entry. But imagine a football fan taking her seat and being quizzed by her neighbor as to how on earth she could afford the enormous ticket price. Oh, no problem, comes the reply. I was given it by my dad for free. For this lucky sports fan, the condition was a necessary condition. She wouldn't have gotten it without it, but it was not a meritorious condition because she had not, in fact, earned it. And so this is um, 
he, he uses this argument to talk about, yeah, faith is a necessary condition. You will not get in without faith. But this faith isn't something that you're able to muster up, pull yourselves up by the bootstraps, develop, you know, solve an equation to get to. Instead, it's a gift. And so in that way, again, not meritorious, but necessary. So conditional, yes, but let's be really careful how we define those terms because it turns out words are really important. Yeah, yeah. and it is necessary, but he, he makes the point, and I think it's, it's a great illustration because he makes the point that you know, some people would try to argue that, oh, faith is this work, like you said, that, mm-hmm. oh, we have to do something. It's like, well, no, it's it's a gift. And again, I think this is a big reason why I'm a Calvinist, because he, if if faith isn't a gift, if the faith itself isn't a gift from God, if he doesn't, you know, cause us to have faith, then, again, it is mustering it up on our own. Um, but if it's only by his grace that he even gives us the ability to have faith, if he, he's the one that plants faith in our hearts, you know, before we're ever even seeking God, because, you know, the Bible tells us that no one seeks God and no one can if they're of the flesh. It's, it's got to be a work of God that gives us that faith so that we then seek him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's why, you know, talking about Abraham... Connect, like it's so it connects so easily mm-hmm. so directly to us uh, because we're like we understand this is the same it's the same yeah right um, this is you know corporate wants you to distinguish you know the difference between <laughs> these two pictures it's the same picture <laughs> the Abrahamic covenant uh, <laughs> new, new covenant same yeah. thing Creed's like I already seems to me give it to me <laughs> uh, so you know Rhodes says uh, page 63 right in the middle the covenant that God gives to Abraham is in essence and that's an important word, by the way. So the, the covenant that God gives to Abraham is in essence the same as the one Jesus offers his blood for, the yeah. same covenant that saves people today, which is why Paul can say, you know, if you are, uh, you know, in Christ and you are Abraham's offspring, why he can say that, you know, the true children of Abraham are the, uh, those, those who have the faith of Abraham, uh, why those, you know, who have faith are just like, are blessed, just like Abraham, the man of faith. So, um you know, Abraham becomes the kind of archetype biblically for the the example that's held up for what faith looks like. Yeah. And what was that faith? It was believing God. Yeah. That's what faith is, right? It's believing God. And uh, yeah, so we, we can read the story of Abraham and say, look, it's, you know, it's us. That's us too, you know. Yeah. Uh, he's our father. Galatians 3.16 um in the you know, middle of the Paul making that argument. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. So, and we, we talked about that a few chapters later, that, that word offspring, how uh, Rhodes talked about how that can be, you know, there's some ambiguity there that it can be either plural or singular. And Paul uses it here in the singular sense of like this this uh, covenant that God made with Abraham was actually a covenant made to Christ. And therefore, all who are in Christ are therefore in part of the Abrahamic covenant, yeah. which is, again, mind-blowing. Because that's, a, I mean, that's, yeah. because that's what Abraham was in, too. Right? Exactly. I mean, yeah. hey. Abraham was saved by faith yeah. in Christ. Yes. Right? right. Um, what's, the, what's the verse where it talks about, you know, they, they, they all drink from the spiritual, the same spiritual rock that was 
It's first gonna be a ten. Yeah, I don't know if that ties in here. I just I mean it's it's a little it. different. That'll come yeah. up especially as we um, as yeah. we talk about the yeah. Mosaic Covenant okay. um, because it's focused on on the people of Israel. That's yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah. But you do yeah. see. I mean, you know, it. What you see throughout the New Testament is the apostles showing that whether it be Noah or Abraham or uh, Moses or David um, or any of the people that were with them, yeah. that it's a, there, there's a continuity between us and them, right? Yeah. That um, the people of God have been essentially the same. They've been saved in essentially the same way. Now, there are differences, right? There, there's things that change over time. Um, and we see that even, you know, as we're going to get into the Mosaic Covenant. Um, there's a kind of change that happens. Um, and so the, the outward administration of these things looks different. However, as, you know, Rhodes points out at the end here, there's a, there's a kind of through line all the way that you can trace all the way back, which is why the apostles and we with them can go back into the Old Testament and read it and understand, no, this is... Yeah in some way talking about us it's talking about christ it's talking about what christ has done for me yeah. you know like that's what that's what this is is uh, about at least in part yeah and i think that's why covenant theology is um i'm i'm convinced of it because again there's that continuity there and the the apostles were covenant theologians they 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 worked from the old testament and they explained it like, hey, we're, they, they actually were justified the same way we were. They were actually, you know, saved by grace through faith. They were actually part of the same covenant that we are. Again, like you said, the, the administration of it was different under the old old law, like the sacrifices, the ceremonial systems, right? But those things, as they found their fulfillment in Christ, passed away. So now we don't need to keep those any longer. But the essence of it, right, the heart of it, faith in, in Christ— you're saved by grace through faith. His righteousness is imputed to us. That's that's been the same from the the moment that God implemented, you know, had to, the moment that people fell, the moment that mankind fell into sin. That they're not saved by their own merits. They're not saved by the keeping of the law. People kept the law in the Old Testament because that's what God commanded. But those who were saved did it by faith. This was that was an outworking of faith that they had in Christ because. That has always been the condition yeah. of the covenant that we're saved by grace through faith. Yeah, again, we yeah. see it with Adam, and you know, I just mm-hmm. preached this recently, and so it's always been it's been on my mind yeah. for the last few weeks. Uh, but Adam clearly repents of his sin. He believes God after God has cursed him. Yep. Um, he believes God and knows that God is going to bring life from the woman. So he names the woman life giver, or you know, uh, the mother of all living, names her Eve, and then. Following that, we're told that God covers them with the skins of an animal, right? God makes a sacrifice and covers them with that sacrifice. That, yeah. I mean, it's all there. It's all it's all there. On, I mean, on, on yeah. every page, in every covenant, in every, you know, yes. uh, place where God makes himself known to his people. This, you see this, this same through line all the way. Yeah. That obviously is made clear uh, in Christ, right? It, it all leads up to the point of Christ. It all climaxes in Him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would argue if you don't see that, you have no business being a preacher. <laughs> you know, if you, if, you're, if you can't get up there and see Christ in every page of the Bible, 
right? Not explicitly, obviously, but you you see how the story's working out to the climactic point of Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection. Like, you have no business being a preacher of God's word. Yeah. If you say ridiculous things like we need to unhitch the Old Testament, it's like you just... <laughs> I know. Really? I, sometimes, I think I've said this a few times <laughs> yeah. on this podcast. It, you just really, it, you really can probably tell that it irks me. <laughs> um, but again, for this very reason, though, because you just everything we've just talked about in this book so far is all in the Old Testament. Yeah. But we're constantly talking about Jesus. Yeah. We're ta- constantly talking about faith. We're constantly talking about grace because it's in there from it's the beginning. There. It's in there from the beginning, and it's just laziness if you don't see that. Mm. It's either laziness, apathy, or you're just, you're just an evil person, <laughs> you know, and you're, 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 you're intentionally suppressing. We'll, we'll yeah. let you decide who, which one of those Andy Stanley is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's, that's not for me to say. I have my opinions, but maybe I should keep them to myself. But again, it's, yeah. Um, the conclusion of the chapter uh, is, is Rhodes excitedly talking about the importance of this condition being God-given faith and the progression of the covenants. He writes, each of these covenants sees a progression and an expansion on the last one. But underneath, they are all the same deal, the same yeah. covenant. They offer the same blessings, which is a paradise, a people, and God's presence. They have the same parties. It's God and his creation. And thankfully, they rest on the same condition. And this is God-given faith. Yes. We like that. Beautiful. Yeah, I like that last illustration he does about software, right? If you update your your phone software, it's enhanced, but it's in essence the same thing. It's it's still you know it's still allowing you to make calls, texts, do the internet, you know, use the internet, use your apps, do the internet. How old are you? My goodness, <laughs> it's, I, I've been up since four. Yeah, how do you do this internet thing? Um, anyways, but no, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's but in essence, it's the same thing, even though it's just updated. So it's it's working faster. It's working better. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, you know, if if the people don't mess so it up. The initial building blocks. Yeah. Hitting continuously, which is what yeah. he was saying. Exactly. It's we get even more than what was promised to Abraham. So like the exactly. building blocks are there, but man, we're gonna get something yes. richer and sweeter so and even more, more. nourishing. Yeah. And exactly. then I just think of Hebrews where it's like he talks about the people of faith in the Old Testament. Hebrews 11, and he's yeah. like they were all looking forward yeah. to that, but they you know, they never saw it. But we yes. we yes. get to God. see it. Yeah. You know what Praise I mean? God. Like that's that's incredible. Mm. That's incredible. Mm. Beautiful. Yeah, it's good, gentlemen. Yeah. Sweet. Chapter five is up that next. Quick, that's a quick little chat, but Chapter on Mr. Moses, Mr. Moses, Covenant of Law or Obedience, Mr. Moses, Mr. Manager. It's just, it's just manager.